Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Luke Mills is a staple in the Mid-America live country music scene and a good buddy. After gaining experience in Christian music, he saw Chris Ledoux and the country bug bit hard. He shared the stage with acts like Dan and Shay, Lee Bryce, Dustin Lynch, and many more. We caught up with Luke at his home in my hometown of Holdridge, Nebraska. Here's Luke Mills. All right. Thinking and drinking. Luke Mills, what's happening, man? Good. I'm good. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thank you. Sitting here having, there's been rainstorms bouncing around here all morning and everything. You guys got some snow out there in Nebraska yesterday, huh? Yeah, we did. Just to, we got like about an inch or so, but it was really wet. And by last night it was all melted and gone. So nice. It, Nebraska, it could be June, I think, and it could still snow. You never know what you're going to get up here. It depends on the day and how it feels. Now, see, if in Tennessee, man, if you've got an eighth of an inch of snow on Monday, they'll go ahead and call off school for the rest of the week. So that's right. pretty cool. Yeah. That's that's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty true, too. But So you grew up where I grew up, out there in Holdridge, Nebraska. Yes. And uh, our families are friends and everything. Did you grow up in a musical family or are you the one and only? Um, we did. So when I was really young, so my parents uh, had a little traveling church singing group that, you know, they did the tracks, you know, and they go do special music churches and things. And uh, my younger two brothers that are just too younger than me, when it was just us three before my other siblings came along, um, we traveled with them and we would sit in that front pew, all three of us boys at the time. And uh, I'm the oldest of five, by the way. And wow. uh, a couple times a night, you know, after mom and dad were singing the special music stuff, then they'd have us come up and we'd do some kid songs in front of everyone. And to be honest, at the time, I think we hated it. <laughs> we were, were like, we, we just want to sit here. We don't we don't want to do this. But uh, something, it definitely got us into loving music. Uh, both yeah. of our parents inspired us eventually. None of my siblings do music anymore. I'm, I'm the only one that still dabbles i guess you could say <laughs> well a little more than dabbles but <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so you were heading to churches and mom and dad were paying you and hot tamales and dr pepper and absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah so what were you guys listening to when you were at home oh gosh i mean do you remember i mean i i don't know for your listeners or whatever but there used to be this thing on in the church market called kids praise and oh yeah the song book so when we're like, you know, three and four and five, you know, that's, that's what you get to listen to. And, and you watch those little VHS movies and learn the songs. And my mom would play piano and we'd sit in the house and sing songs like that. I do Christmas songs, you know, mm -hmm. we were, there was always a piano in the house uh, when we were young. And uh, as we got older, you know, we were allowed to listen to, uh, you know, guys like DC talk, you know, yeah. guys like that. Um, and then, uh, Country music was always around because my dad worked and was, you know, 
uh, he worked on a cow calf operation up in the middle of Nebraska. Okay. So country music for him has always been on the radio. That's what you listen to. Yeah. And jump in the truck with dad and he's got, you know, George Strait going, you know, from yeah. like 1985. <laughs> love it. I love it. It takes me back every time I hear it. Well, okay. I'm going to come back to that. So what, what made you uh, go from the family band to wanting to get up on stage and do this thing? Like, I don't know if you, you didn't start out wanting to do it for a living, I assume. You just wanted to no, do it. We didn't even know what that was. You know, when right. you, did, you just want to be a rock star and be cool and play guitar <laughs> and, and, and get the girl, you know, in, in, in junior high, you know, you're trying to impress everybody. Um no, actually, to be really honest, what inspired me to really get into music and when the family band started to kind of end was I was probably about 11, where they weren't really doing the special songs in church. We were still going to church and doing all that. But, you know, life, uh, I have two more siblings got added to the mix. So dad started working a lot and yeah. my mom was working. So traveling became less and less frequent. But uh what really got me, and this is a crazy funny story, I was, my grandparents on my mom's side lived in Colby, Kansas, and it was my birthday in like two days. My birthday is August 11th, okay. and and I remember getting the paper at my grandma's house, and it was fair week, you know, in Colby, the count, uh, uh, Thomas County Fair, Okay, and uh, and uh we were down there every day because I had cousins in 4-H. So we'd go down there and see them, go walking through the thing. And they got these big grandstands. And I heard, I saw this thing in the paper. There's going to be this guy there. And his name was Chris Ledoux. Nice. And and I was like, I didn't know who he was, but I just knew he played acoustic guitar and, and, and he sang. And I had heard his songs on the radio back then. And I was like, well how can I, in two days, I want to go to that because we're still going to be in Colby and I want to go see that show. Yeah. And I asked my parents, I was like, for my birthday, can I go to that show? And they're like, well, you're going to have to do some some yard work on your grandparents' place just to get $7, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> over two days. And and I got that $7 and they no one went with me. I went in there all by myself. And Holy cow. Walked in there like turning 12. And uh, sat in that grandstand, and I I saw Chris Ledoux play all the cool songs, and I saw him shoot rockets out of his guitar, and I was like, "This is what I want to do." Like, yeah, I want. And and the crowd was just singing those songs with him, and I'm like, "This is awesome." I'd already been dabbling on keyboards and things because we always had musical instruments in our house, but uh, post that, I was trying to write songs when I was 13 and uh, my dad at our house in Kansas city at the time, uh, he had an old guild 12 string guitar and the action on that thing was awful, (laughs) but (laughs) he wouldn't let me touch it. So he, when my parents would go out on dates at the time, I would sneak into their bedroom and I would pull out that old guitar and I would take a penny because I didn't know what a pick was. Right. <laughs> and I would play that thing. And I broke every string on that guitar <laughs> over the course of a few months, sneaking it out. And I finally put it back in. And my dad in, in their closet, it was so funny because uh, I'd always latch it, put it back perfectly. So they didn't even know yeah. I touched it. Right. That was dad's guild, 12 string guitar, you know. And right. uh, 
one day he comes in and I had my own room at the time and it was about eight o'clock at night and I was just getting ready to go to bed. And he comes in my room with that guitar case and I had left one of the latches open and he comes in and he puts it on the ground and sits it there and he opens it up and there's like strings broke. And <laughs> I didn't know how to fix them. I knew I was going to get caught sometime. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to change these strings. He goes, if you want to play it, you're going to learn to play it right. And so he strung it with all 12 strings and he said, this is what you're going to learn to play on. So those I learned little fingers. Play, yeah. On a 12 string guitar. And I got it finally to sound good. And I kept, I worked for months to, <laughs> to do basic chords, but as soon as I knew chords, I was already trying to write songs like Ace in the Hole, you know, by yeah. straight. I was, I was listening to radio and I was trying to copy that stuff. And don't know if I got good at it, but I sure tried. Dude, I know, the, <laughs> so. I, I know exactly what look your dad gave you when he came in and said, Luke, yeah. because <laughs> I know, except I've had the same exact look, except it was barred. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, crap. I've been caught. Yep. Oh, man. So, so you ended up from Kansas City. You, you went back to Holdridge at yep. some point. So born in Holdridge. Uh, we kind of, for the first couple of years of my life, some I can remember, some I can't, we ended up in Kansas City, Overland, okay. Overland Park, Lenexa. I went from grade school all the way to eighth grade in Kansas City okay. in the Overland Park area. And then my parents, right before I'm getting ready to go to my freshman year of high school, I was so excited. They decided to move back to <laughs> Alma, Nebraska, just, just south of Holdridge into a little, and it wasn't even Alma. Uh, for those of you that don't know... There's another little town there alongside of a lake called Republican City. Ah, yes. And and it is only 99 people in that little town. And most of them are either retired or they're dead and they haven't changed the sign. (laughs) (laughs) And we got a house there and we pulled into that town and I was... I was heartbroken. I was like, I left all, we left all my friends to come here. What are we doing? But uh, you know what? Uh, God had a plan and probably kept me out of a lot of trouble and yeah. by coming back to this area. And uh, I met some of my best friends from this area for, and I've got long lasting friends. And uh, so, yeah, so freshman year of high school, Alma, Nebraska, Holdridge, those were my stomping grounds. So you ended up working for the radio station, correct? I did. That was K- my U- first, yeah, K- cover. <laughs> cover radio. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> oh gosh. So many memories there. That, so uh, when I was a sophomore, uh, I was uh, needing to get a job. I was 16 and I had a car, you know, big old boat. It wasn't those old Buicks, you know? Oh, yeah. Four door. I mean, that thing was 14 <laughs> foot long, you know? You could rent out the back seat as a spare yeah. room to somebody. <laughs> had to put gas and pay for that thing. So I, <laughs> I went up and I was like, well, I want to be a DJ. And just so happened to get in with the right person. Hey, go up to KUVR in Holdridge. They'll, they'll put you on. They put me on, on the AM side and I'd have to get up at five in the morning and go up there and power up that, that antenna. And then I'd start the day uh, on, on the weekends. So you were, Oh, you were on the air. Well, I, I was an uh, engineer. There, okay. And uh, they would let me do the weather. And then on the AM side, they would let me spin actual 45s of old songs. Cause that's the, uh, yeah, kind of music they spun yeah. there, and and then every once and I got to be a radio guy 
quote unquote, every once in a while there. But every once in a while, for those of you who are not familiar with Nebraska and the Cornhuskers, this state oh, lives and bleeds Husker Red. And and I do too, but I got to cut in to the FM side because it was a syndicated station on the okay. FM side. And they would let me for 30 minutes before a Husker game and 30 minutes after the Husker game, I could play whatever I wanted. Nice. And I, and I would... I get, I can't even remember the name I gave myself, but I gave myself a handle, you know, and, uh, and gosh, that was some of the best years. And and when I finally recorded one of my first songs in high school with my band, uh, I would, I would spend my own song on there and I would talk like it wasn't even me. I would say this band, we were called after the order ATO. And I was like, you got to check out ATO's new hot song. And, and no one ever yelled at me for it, but I can't believe I did that. <laughs> Dude, that's great. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of that, the radio, I mean, I remember Barrows and Gilts and Farm Reports and Paul Harvey. And, yeah, I mean, the radio stations in little teeny, I mean, our town is like 5,500 people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really important and it's really the life's blood. And, and, man, I remember coming home from school every day for lunch and mom would have lunch on. And we would listen to Paul Harvey. Yep. And as soon as Paul Harvey was over, it was go wash your hands and get back to school. Yeah. <laughs> so that was our life, man. So does that give you kind of a appreciation at all on what it takes to get songs played on the radio? Or, or were you not even necessarily I, involved in that that much? I, I wasn't. Uh, we had a program director, uh, you know, at the time and even yeah. for the AM station. And basically we had a shelf of old records, which is actually still there today. Like these old 45s. I, in fact, I told them side note, if they ever sell that building or decide to get rid of that stuff, please call me first because I want, I want all that. You know, I saw on, sorry to interrupt you, but I saw on your Instagram, yeah. you had a picture of the control room and the clock above yeah. was, was broke at like two thirteen or something. You said it's yeah. been broke since I was working there. So. <laughs> it had been, <laughs> it was funny, but, uh, no, I didn't have any idea. Uh, I, we, we, I just did my job and got paid. And when I started writing songs, you know, uh, trying to understand what radio was the the one guy that really changed how I thought about radio was a guy up here on uh, hits 106 uh Mark Reed Rito on oh, the yeah. radio the Australian guy yeah and man that guy can be really harsh if you don't know him you know yeah and man we my buddies and I we had our CD and we took it into the radio station and I'm pretty sure they threw that thing right in the trash um but uh <laughs> but uh he finally was honest enough with me one day. He goes, listen, man, your, your songs are five minutes long. We yeah. No, we had no concept of like timing or right. what we were doing. We, hey, this is our song. We're proud of it. And he goes, you get that thing down to three 30. And this is the, gosh, this is 20 years ago, 25 yeah. years ago. Uh, he's like, he's like, you got to rework your songs. He's like, these aren't, they're, they're not terrible, but you got to condense it and trim the fat. And we were like, what does that mean? So we went away from that and started writing more songs not even really still not knowing what we were really doing with my buddies and I yeah and we got lucky with one track on the next a year later we were getting ready to graduate high school and we got this song done and uh honestly I can't even remember the name of it but it was I think it was called Tear Stained World 
and he's like this is a good song right here you need to take this song he goes like you know what guys we're gonna play this on the radio we're gonna put it on the top nine at nine and oh yeah vote on it you know well that thing went to number one within like a couple weeks we had everybody calling in we're calling all our friends like just go 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 like our song go like our song (laughs) and that was kind of the, the beginning of the end of the bug i mean like I got the bug and it's never left. Yeah. But, but then started to realize what he was talking about with crafting songs for the radio. And ever since then, every song I write has got to have some element uh, and that, that can work there. If it doesn't, yeah. I have written songs that are still like, you know, five minutes long. Uh, you'll never hear them. They're, they're just for me and maybe I'll trim them down someday. Yeah. Um, but anything that you're going to see in, public from luke mills now is started with that guy telling me how to craft songs and it was important it changed everything for me in in the central uh united states region i mean we've been on radio stations in kansas city uh nebraska parts of colorado and south dakota so we really really went to town on that just doing regional radio yeah so now when you write songs you only have two guitar solos that's right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and one at the intro sometimes. Right. And then, of course, the outro is usually guitar as well, but nobody can say. So, so when you started doing this, what kind of, I mean, were you just playing bars and, and whatever you could find? Or like, who was, the, who was the first, I don't know, national act that let you open for them? Or how, and how did that happen? Fairs and stuff, I suppose? The fairs thing, so in the country world, so what a lot of people don't know is I started out basically in the Christian music industry. Yeah. Uh, independently. I, I can't say I was ever signed to it. Um, but our first uh, shows were opening up for bands like Skillet when they were first coming out. Wow. And, you know, they, they would come through on I-80 and we just happened to know the right youth pastors and the yeah. right Christian promoters. And they'd be like, yeah, you guys need to come play with these guys. Um then we got in on those Christian festivals, you know, like Lifelight and up in uh, Wilmer, Minnesota, the big one up there. I can't remember what that one was called. Sunshine Fest. Oh, okay. And and then uh, Cornerstone out in Illinois. Yeah, man. And they would let us play these main stages with these artists. Um, we, we got to kind of be friends with a lot of these artists. A lot of the, what I would call the B-level artists, you know, like uh, there was a band called uh, Bleach. We got mm-hmm. to be really good friends with those guys. Um Matt Baird from a hardcore band called Spoken. And we tried to do the rock and roll thing. I mean, we got a little crazy at times back then. Uh, But, you know, as time went on, uh, not only was the music industry changing because of the internet and CDs started, we we saw that whole transition. I saw that whole transition of where CDs kind of went south, you know, like no one was buying them anymore. Yeah, And that really killed our live uh, income because we would sell CDs every show. Oh wow! And then then we didn't. And <laughs> guys were like, "Hey, I'm married and I've got a yeah. kid on the way." And so it, you know, everyone starts dropping off. But uh, the country thing, uh, if I can, can I share a quick story about absolutely back into the country thing? Yeah. So I was pretty green. I've been green my entire career. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> learning as I go all the time. And my band had quit on me uh, for good reasons. They, they needed to get things situated in their lives. And, uh, and uh, I was still just pushing that button of like, I want to be a rock star. I want to, I need, I, I need this to fulfill something in my life, you know? 
And uh, uh, I went out to Columbus, Ohio, and I worked with a, a producer there who is now one of my best friends. His name is C.R. Pendleton. Uh, he has done some, some stuff with uh, Toby Mac and with the, uh, uh, oh, Reliant K guys. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, he was just so cool. And he took me under his wing as a, as a individual. And we were trying to write this record and I was trying to do rock and roll and I was screaming and I was in the studio booth doing these vocals and he just stops. I mean, he's in the control room and he just hits the stop button in mid, uh, you know, breaking, I'm cracking. I'm, I'm just so desperate to write something good, you know? <laughs> and, uh, he says, how about you just, how about you just come in here for a second? Let's talk about this song. Let's talk about some things. And, uh, the best conversation I ever had, I went yeah. into that control room and he just, he, I sat on that couch right behind that big desk, you know, and he turns his swivel chair around. He goes, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I am like, I'm writing a song, man. Let's, 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 let's get this thing going. He goes, no, he's like, I'm serious. He goes, he's like, you're a talented young man. He's like, but everything you're doing right now, this is all wrong. And it just straight up told me that. And he goes, he's like, what are you doing with your life? What's your game? He's like, you're, you're, 25, you know, you're, you're, uh, you don't have a girlfriend right now <laughs> in between girlfriends, you know, uh, do you want to get married? Like what's, what's, what's the next 10 years look like? I mean, do, do you own a house? What do you, what do you own? I don't own anything. I have nothing. I I'm living in a small little apartment here in Columbus, Ohio, and <laughs> just trying to survive and, and try to hit it big. That's what I wanted. And he goes, he just told me, he goes, your idea of what you think is going to happen is not going to happen. Yeah. And he was just blunt with me. He goes, this doesn't happen anymore. Not like this. And he goes, and he goes, I can't even tell you the answer. He goes, he goes, like, if you want to do a record, he's like, I'll do a record with you. He's like, we'll, we'll do whatever you want. And you can try to get it out of your system or whatever you got to do. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. But he says, he goes, but I I do want to, if you're going to do this, he goes, he goes, what do you think about country music? And I'm like, I love country music. I go, but none of my friends that play music are going to want to do that. Yeah. So I've got to stay in the game and I need a band. And he goes, screw the band. He goes, he's like, do you know how to write a country song? Have you written songs? And I was like, you know what? It's funny. I've been working on a song that I thought would be a great country song. And uh, he goes, well, show it to me. And that was the beginning of the end. Uh, I pulled out this song literally out of my wallet. I'd been, you know, with different girls back then as you're a young man trying to <laughs> thinking you're going to find love. You, you put all these little pieces of lyrics together and I had a string of girls, you know, just like, well, this will work for this song and this will work, but I hadn't finished it yet. And I really wanted that song to be special before I showed anyone. So I showed him what I had. And then uh, the girl that I'm married to today, uh, she was the inspiration for the oh, man. Needed to, to, to get it done. And that was my first song uh, in country that we actually got laid down. And it's actually my biggest song to date that's got to see radio airplane. It's called Heartbeat. And nice. that song still, still carries really well. I might have to actually re-record it again. There you uh, go. But, but yeah, that's what, that's what really got me in the game uh, of actually – the craft. I mean, I, you know, I talked about crafting songs from, you know, clear back when I was at the radio station and I was like 16 years old, but 
getting into the storytelling, actually taking an emotion and putting it to words and then putting it to chords and, and to melody. Uh, when we did that, I still ha- didn't have it all together as far as like my life in order, but it became something that became like a, uh, a project. And while yeah. I was writing those songs, I got to do a lot of uh, introspective thinking and, and uh, crafting on my own soul, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so now, and now here we are learned a lot in the last uh, 10 years of doing country. So, because I know so you I like took the, a lot of time there. No, man, <laughs> I know you like the the heavy music. We met going mm-hmm. to a Kiss show, yeah, <laughs> which yes. was a blast. Now it, it's funny how there's s- certain aspects of the musical society that looks down on country music, looks down on rock as not being as quote unquote artistic as some other formats. And I always thought, man, I think it takes. Just there's just as much art in a three minute pop song, country song, rock song as there is in a Mozart symphony. And you may not think that, but I would say if you don't think that, sit down and write a great song. You know, before you tell me my stuff's not artistic, as because yeah. but I, but I also want to. You also have to have a conversational, fun, up up tempo or or bal or whatever you know that crosses all sorts of lines yeah you know but i mean and, it, and it's hard to do that too because you are only who you are you're not the next door neighbor you're not the lady next door so right trying to write broad spectrum like that is pretty hard sometimes yeah yeah it's but it can be fun too oh man yeah like like i love i mean writing rock and roll i'm actually uh there's a buddy of mine who uh used to work for me uh, and he plays guitar. He's a really cool kid. Uh, he loves that, that eighties rock and roll sound. Yeah. And, and, uh, we're writing songs for him right now. Uh, cool. And, and I, I'm getting, I'll be honest. Sometimes when I'm writing this stuff down, it's almost easier for me to write songs for him than it is to write songs for myself Yeah, because, because I'm just enjoying it. And I'm looking at things that he's bringing to the table from a whole nother perspective. And then when I'm seeing him get to get excited about some of the lyrics that I'm bringing to the table or ideas, yeah, it, it actually energizes me. I'm like, well, man, maybe we're on the right track. And it, we get this back and forth and it's really fun. And that's in, you know, eighties hair metal style stuff, you know, well, I'm not going to sing it, but he can. <laughs> but that's, that's the whole thing. You know, I mean, you come up with an idea about getting drunk and cheating on your wife and you're going, well, I would never sing that. And he's going, well, I wouldn't, I don't care. I'll sing that. So then that opens <laughs> yeah. you up that much wider because you don't have to worry about whether Mm -hmm. that song fits you and what you're trying to be. Absolutely. Yeah, man. There's a lot of, lot of freedom in that. I think that's great, man. (laughs) You can get some really cool ideas off your chest that I, you never thought, you know, you know, you can't do. I mean, I mean, I'm a married man. I got a great woman. Uh, She's, she's a, a, just a really special girl to, to deal with this artist <laughs> trying yes. to chase the dream. And, uh, and, uh, you know, there are just some song lines that out of respect for my, my better half over here, uh, I'm just not going to cross. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it doesn't mean I can't have my buddy go and cross that line. If he exactly. Wants to, you know? like, he can get away with it. I can't, <laughs> yeah. he's single. Like, let him do it. 
So what rhymes with crack cocaine? Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, you, you, you start playing shows and everything. I mean, when you, when you go out, when you, I mean, I know you're headlining most of your stuff now, but when you were coming up and opening for other stuff, I mean, what was your goal? Did you just want to blow them off the stage and just yes. be, because I mean, I know you guys are a real high energy band and everything. I mean, was, is that seriously the goal just to make them, they have to work you know, harder? Yes. We, you know, we got to open a lot for a lot of bigger bands. And I think that's why we actually got to open for a lot of the bigger Christian right. rock bands. And And it's not even rock bands. I mean, uh, even with the country stuff, I've got to open for Lee Bryce. I've actually sang with Lee Bryce oh, on stage, and and uh, but the the idea was to be. We always wanted to be viewed as being on the same tier as those yeah. guys, you know, yeah. on the same plane. Uh, deep down, we wanted the same respect. I wanted the same respect. Um, I still didn't know everything, but uh, the goal was we're going to go up there and we are going to set the tone for this entire night. Yeah. And, and it didn't matter if they were a national act or a, another local act, but we wanted people to remember us after we left that stage. And so we hmm. would bring it. And sometimes even to our own uh, uh, detriment, uh, detriment, a <laughs> 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 little, little too much, a little too crazy. Um, the, I'll tell you what, though, the most important thing I learned about uh, playing with other bands uh, eventually, and this has probably been in the last five years that I've really taken this to heart is it's good to pre- be professional. It's good to make people remember you, but uh, other artists are not the enemy. Right. Know? Yeah. Like, and I think a long time ago, I think we viewed them as the, as the, we need to overtake these guys. We need to, yeah. we need to do a better job than them. And, and and then blow them off the stage so that we can get that record deal. And guess what? We never got the record deal. <laughs> so uh, so what really became a thing was becoming friends with those guys. Like like yeah. understanding that we needed to add value to the show at the beginning because we were there for a reason because people valued what we were bringing, but not to go in with an attitude and not to go in thinking that we were something special, but to add value to the night of performance with everybody. Hmm. Um, and, you know, we used to, an, another side of that is, you know, you said, like you just mentioned, we're headlining a lot of our own events now. Yeah, We're independent. My band and I, we've got a really great setup, but years ago when we had our own setup, uh, it was, we would almost, it felt, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be really honest with you. We would get guys who weren't very talented hmm. to open for us. And what I learned very, very quickly, I think it lasted only about one summer. We had a a terrible (laughs) band opening for us. And the problem was, is that the venue and the promoters that were bringing us in for some of these really nice events were coming up within three, three or four songs of the first band's act. And like, listen, you got to get these guys off stage. People are. (coughs) Wow. Excuse me. And, and and they're like they're not good. Can you just kick them off and get them out of here? Now at first you're thinking, oh, that's great. They hate them. They're gonna love us, right? right? But but what I really learned was is like when you're a part of an entire night of entertainment, yeah, uh, it's got to be quality entertainment from the beginning to the end, and that's probably been what has 
really drove up our, I guess you could say value as being a, a group of guys that go out and do these live shows. And now we look for quality openers, like quality guys who have talent because they're not the enemy, you know? Uh, Well, like, like you said, when you were opening for Lee, you also probably understood, well, probably the more majority of the people are here to see him. That's right. So we don't want to make him look stupid or we don't want to make us look stupid because here's a bunch of people that as of last week, we were not going to be playing for. That's right. That's right. And also, when you say you bring somebody good with you and make it an evening, well, shoot, man, people don't have as much money to spend, go out, and if there's going to be two bands or three bands on a bill and you're the headliner, it's like, let's make all of them really good so it's a whole great night. Yes. That's cool, man. That's very, very mature attitude, man. It is now. It's taken a while to get there, but but it really is important. <laughs> so do you have any funny stories about some of your best or worst gigs? I mean, you don't have to say any any oh, names, but I mean, I'm sure you've got a million. I don't even know if you could pull one out for us. Yeah. You know what? I do. I, I have one that uh, I haven't pulled out for a while, but it's such a great story because it has to do with Nashville and it has to do a little bit with uh, Miley Cyrus. Nice. Um, so I had a drummer and we were doing a, a kind of a two piece rock band and we were down in Nashville uh, to, it was that big uh, Christian music week, you know, when they were for the, GMA, uh, the GMAs. Yeah. GMA, yeah. Gospel yep. Music Association. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and we were down there. There's a, there was a guy down there, uh, Gosh, what was his name? Uh, he's he's not a he's a performance coach, and he makes DVDs. Uh, and he worked with Taylor Swift for a while. Um, gosh, I wish I could think of his name right off, but I can't. But anyway, uh, we were in a band down there that was going to be the guinea pig for a conference for this guy to uh, fix our song, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and then we were down there. Uh, Charlie Peacock was there. Oh and, man. And I was doing a thing. So they were going to, uh, performance coach us in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. And then one of my songs was going to get critiqued and we were going to work on it in front of everybody. I was with Charlie Peacock and it was really cool. Yeah. Well, as we were getting ready to, to do all that, uh, my drummer, best friend, he's not with us anymore. He, he passed away in a motorcycle wreck, but oh, he's such a great guy. And he, Miley Cyrus's sister's boyfriend was in a Christian band at this same event. Okay. And uh, Miley, Miley Cyrus's sister came in and, and you have to know my buddy, Nate. Uh, he, he just wears his heart on his sleeve and he just says things, you know, just whatever he's thinking, it's coming out. Well, he was just annoyed. He's like, oh, he was kind of like Miley Cyrus is sister is here and everyone was making a big deal about it. And he was just so annoyed, you know, well, he went into the bathroom and, uh, he was talking to our guitar player and he just starts going off in the bathroom about, Ooh, uh, I'm Miley Cyrus's sister. I'm so awesome. Blah, 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 blah. I'm so cute. And then he goes, yeah, that girl's not even as cute as my girlfriend, you know? Well, all of a sudden, the stall door opens. The stall door. <laughs> <laughs> and he 
and they didn't even know anyone else was in there. And this guy walks out and he goes and he's washing his hands. And, and my buddy Nate's still just going off. I mean, he's just ranting and he stops and Nate looks over at this guy and he goes, Hey man, what's up? And this guy's washing his hands and he, he says, yeah, he goes, so that girl you're talking about. And Nate's like, yeah, he goes, that's my girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) That guy walks out and goes and literally grabs a cab for Miley Cyrus's sister, gets her out of there. Nate comes out of the bathroom and I was out there talking with some other people and I was in that (laughs) circle, you know, with, with his girlfriend, Miley Cyrus's girlfriend and everything that that whole moment just went away. I was like, what happened? And Nate comes in with his head down and our guitar player is like, pretty sure that we will never get to be friends with any of them again. (laughs) (laughs) But side note, uh, we were uh, in Denton, Texas uh, about four months after that. And that same band, uh, her her, uh, boyfriend was down at Denton and we got to hang out with him a little bit. He remembered Nate (laughs) (laughs) and uh, they apologized or Nate apologized and we talked to him and we, we actually got invited to go uh, to uh, Miley's birthday party, but we did not make it. But I, I was like, man, we should have totally went. But we were, you were poor little rock stars. <laughs> we should have just made that happen. I thought you were going to say, uh, we met him down in Denton, Texas. And he said, hey, by the way, we're not seeing each other anymore. So uh, <laughs> you'd like any, to get anything else off your chest. Yeah. Now's the time. <laughs> no, they were still together then, but that would have been funny too. Oh, man. Oh, that's a so, pretty funny story. That's, I love that. So um, just to get kind of as an independent artist, I mean, are you just switching gears here a little bit? Are you booking yeah, yourself or do you have a booking agent or how does that all work? Um, I don't have a booking agent per se. Um, I've got a guy that uh, works for me. Uh, he's my production manager and he's started taking a lot of the calls now oh, cool. uh, for people that want to book us. Um I'm, I know what my weaknesses are and staying organized when someone calls me and I'll be like, Oh yeah, just send me a text message and I'll get back to you. I get so many of those. And I'm going to be honest that sometimes I don't do that. So now when I get that, I'm just like, here's this guy's number call him. He's, his name's Dean. He's awesome. Uh, he's my right hand guy. He might even be more important than my actual band. Uh, (laughs) Actually he is. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I still take some, like there are some people that really, I mean, you know, this area really well, once they know you, you're with certain, have relationships with people, they're going to talk to me. They want to yeah. be with me yeah. you know, and, forever. And that's just easier. Yep. Yeah. That's so. great, man. Well, like over the past year, I mean, we've all been kind of put out of business. I assume it's kind of, did you, how, did you show up, play any shows last year where you're able to at all? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, I am so thankful that we live in Nebraska. Yeah. Sometimes I'm not thankful and I should be, (laughs) but, um, you know, we, I know how that feels. (laughs) We, uh, by January 20th last year, uh, we had our entire summer booked with some really great shows. Uh, we had close to 40 shows just within June, July and August booked. Uh, fairs, uh, festivals, street dances. Um, and when I say street dances, I mean, we, 
what we've been trying to do is overtake them and treat them like a festival. We're not doing, we're trying not to do the four hour night thing, like cover band stuff. We're trying to Mm -hmm. the songwriting and have fun. And we were ready to go. And by the time we got to uh, that, probably April 1st, phones started ringing and people started canceling. And within Mm. a month, every show was gone. Um, And we had shows in Kansas. We had shows in Colorado. Um, We had a couple shows in Missouri. And and then, of course, like Western Nebraska. And, of course, Nebraska actually shut down pretty much everything at that point. Yeah. They even were like, nope, we're done. We're we're diving in here. Um, Somehow... We, and, and, and that was devastating for, for me personally, because I had just invested a huge chunk of my life and savings into, uh, our live production rig. <sighs> and, uh, we're not talking like just tweeters on sticks and a couple park hands. We're, we're talking like, <laughs> this is a, almost a borderline main stage arena looking show, you know, not quite, you know, Def Leppard status, but you know, we're getting there, working our way up. You say Uh, tweeters on sticks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) But uh, when we got to, uh, to June, I was, I was wrecked um, and had to come up with a payment every month, you know, for that rig. And, uh, Somehow, uh, we went, uh, we got a sponsor, uh, Jansen Auto Group, right here in Holdridge, the car dealership guys. Uh, we did one outdoor event where we did the car pull up thing. And, I, and to my knowledge, uh, I think it's one of the first ones that ever happened. I think, like, I mean, I'm not saying that everyone else started doing this because of us, yeah, but it was like May 30th or 29th. And, it was an outdoor show. People stayed in their cars. The police were there to make sure people stayed in their cars, you know, Dang. and we did this outdoor show and we decided to figure out a way to market that within a couple of weeks. And we put that on our website and, and what we were trying to do. And we ended up doing about 28 shows last summer. Last bookings. So th- between, you know, that's about, you know, seven or eight shows a month. Yeah. And, and, and actually pulled in some pretty decent money and kept our thing going. Uh, and most of it was in Nebraska. Uh, I did make it up to, uh, to the rally, uh, up in Sturgis. Oh, nice. Played in Keystone. Uh, and then, uh, uh, a, a buddy of mine named DJ Bridwell and I, we, we kind of teamed up with acoustic guitars and we started going doing these little, little shows. Most of them were outside. Um, by the time we got to the end of last summer, we were starting to be able to get back into venues again. We uh, played the waiting room in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. That's kind of one of those prestigious venues that's been yeah. around a long time. Yeah. And that was rough because, you know, they only allowed 50 people in there. Mm. That's a, that, that can be a 600 seat venue. So it felt weird, oh, but, uh, but no, uh, very fortunate. We did get to keep playing and, and it really helped us out a lot. We're just, we were just lucky. One of the lucky ones. Uh, I was actually just talking to uh, Jason Charles Miller about this a couple weeks ago about. Oh, cool. Playing, Cause he hasn't gotten to play in over a year. Yeah. Now. So yeah. Well, um, who, like when you say you played a 
venue that could be 600 seats, but they only let 50 people in. I mean, who sets the ticket price on a deal like that? Is that you? Is that the venue? Is that the promoter? Or does that change from gig to gig to gig to gig? That changes from gig to gig to gig. Yeah. Um, that one there uh, have really been becoming friends with the people over there at, at the waiting room. Uh, oh, cool. Joel, Joel does a lot of their booking over there. And he, I really just wanted to get in with that guy. So whenever he calls me, uh, especially with all the great shows that we are already doing, that was one of those where it was like, we're investing into ourselves to get ourselves a presence there. So we actually didn't make a dime getting in on that one. Yeah. Um, that was just to get on that stage and, and at least say, Hey, we're in the area. Thank you for giving us a chance on this stage. And, and now yeah. I've gotten to go back there a couple times and get paid. So that's great. So you mentioned buying a bunch of new gear and everything. And not, you've said in the past that like Def Leppard's one of your favoriteest, mostest favoriteest bands. And you're completely ampless and everything on stage. Is it so everybody's using in-ears, I'm assuming? Yes. Yep. We are that way now. Um, we were doing uh, monitor wedges, but yeah. definitely ampless. Uh, actually, what inspired that was uh, your uh, podcast with uh, the guitar tech for Def Leppard. John Zocco. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Po- I listened to that one a couple of times just to listen oh, to that. Oh, thanks, man. Um, yeah, he's a good cat. But when he was talking about how their entire guitar rig basically fits in a suitcase. Yeah. And, and I'm starting to get up there in age. I don't want to haul around amps anymore. Oh, dude. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. no, the, the sound that we're starting to get now is just so clean, you know, yeah. good, good tones. Uh, it, it, it just a clean looking stage. Uh, yeah. No extra microphones, grab an extra noise. It makes the, front of house guys job so easy and uh, man great that yeah i remember when i was out with uh florida georgia line and i would be bringing radio guys up on the side stage and the amps were all turned around backwards and it would be like 108 db back there so i couldn't talk to the radio guys anyway so they went all went ampless and fractals and everything i have one of their old fractals right there but Nice. Their front of house guy said, dude, it's so, so much better. It's so consistent every night because your favorite Marshall head is the best yes. amp in the world today, but tomorrow it might sound like Oscar the Grouch farting yeah. in a trash can. And they're yeah. so, and your, your sound guy's got to try to make that sound good every night. Yep. That's man, well, that's hard. And I went and saw Def Leppard about, two three years ago coming up this summer and saw them in omaha or excuse me in lincoln when they were out with journey oh yeah man and uh i was just so inspired by them i mean their sound was so crisp i mean they're really playing that stuff yeah yeah and you would have thought that they were that was all studio done i mean that's how good those guys are anyway but the quality of the sound coming out of those speakers and then i hate to say it journey is one of my favorite bands too but uh journey got up there and they had their speaker stacks and their amps on stage Mm -hmm. and and i'll I'll be honest after hearing def leppard do what they did that the the journey mix just sounded muddy to me really about half of the show and we ended up my wife and I ended up just leaving early. I was glad to see them. They were great. Yeah. We can sing, you know? Oh, dude. But, uh, yeah. But I was like, they had a real drum kit up there and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. 
uh, electric kit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that sounds so good. <laughs> no, but you know what? Being, but also, <clears throat> excuse me, for you as a band, the sound that's in your ears is more consistent every night too. Mm-hmm. So you're going to play better because you know yeah. exactly what everything. Yeah. yeah, I get it, man. That good for you. So I know you you are paying for everything. So like, how are you finding songs and players and a studio and producers and everything to to record music? Uh, luck, honestly. Um, I guess you're writing the songs you're recording. Yeah, yeah. Most yeah. of them. The last song that I just released, uh, I didn't write that one. That was a, a a a new experience. That's a new kind of playing and and studio work for me. Uh, wanted to get out of my comfort zone. So we did this song called Love Another Day and went to Denver for the first time and worked with a, a producer named Josh Olson. And great guy. Uh, him and I really hit it off. Um, cool. And uh, he used to be, he, he gets me because he used to be a player for one, for the play bass for some of the tooth and nail bands back in Oh, the day. wow. So he was out playing bass for Grandma Train and, and, uh, a bunch of those kind of bands. Hmm. And so when we start, when we first got in the studio, it was him and me trying to feel each other out. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I just kind of, I don't know what everyone believes, but I definitely believe that there is a God up in heaven that kind of puts things in our path and gives us choices and we have to make the best of those choices. Yeah. And so far, thank God I've, I've just come across some really great people with some good information and just, you know, work my way through it. And, uh, and, uh, now, now we're to the next, the next thing, you know, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, I'm just trying to run my art also like a business Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, I'm not signed. Uh, maybe that will come down the road. I don't know. Uh, but no, I just work really hard, save my money and, try to make the best with shoestring budgets and bring the talent. And then luckily over the last five years of doing this, uh, it's grown and, and we are making money. Um, we're not making millions of dollars. I still own a flooring installation company that I go and do floor installs and put wood floors down and things, but, but, uh, it's, it's working and it takes time. And you just have to be, this is, uh, the coolest thing for me is just being uh, for any artists out there listening and you think you want to do this uh, and you want to try to make it quote unquote, uh, make sure you define in your brain what you think making it is and understand mm-hmm. what that is. And then what you have to do is you have to be really honest about where you're at. Yeah. You have to be honest with your shortcomings and with your strengths. Uh, definitely play on your strengths, but don't be afraid to let, other people who are strong in your shortcomings come to the table. Yeah. You, you got to have them. <laughs> yeah. <You've> got to. <laughs> yeah. You definitely have to figure out your own definition of success and then shoot yeah. from there. That's cool, man. That's awesome, dude. Do you want to do my lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. All right. You want to take a swig there real yeah. quick? Is this going to go super well, fast? You know, you, well, you never know. It might. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you questions and just give me the first thing that pops into your head. All right. What's your favorite book? Oh, uh, it's uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Nice. Yeah. Are you a bath or a shower guy? 
shower. Nice. What's the last gift you gave someone? Oh, that's not good that I'm saying. You know what? It was Valentine's (laughs) Day. It was a card to my wife. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the first concert you saw? You already told us that. Yep. How old were you and did you get a t-shirt? Oh, I was turned 12 cause it was on my birthday. Okay. August 11th. And, uh, no, I didn't get a t-shirt and you know what? I kick myself every day for not getting that t-shirt, but I do. I have gotten to uh, play a few shows with a uh, Ned Ledoux. Oh, cool. And I, I do have a Ned Ledoux t-shirt. All right. So that's his son, for those of you who don't know. <laughs> so. Isn't it funny that now when you watch, knowing uh, what a huge fan Garth Brooks is of Chris Ledoux, and you go back to shooting rockets off his guitar and yes. stuff, you go, oh, I know where you got yep. some of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. What's the last movie you saw in a theater? Oh, honestly, I think it was... Uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker. Nice. You're a guitar guy. So if money was no object, what guitar would you buy? Ooh, that's a <laughs> tough one. Cause I got to play them, but I would probably get the, uh, uh, I tried to find, go back and get that 2000 reissue of the Gibson Les Paul. Uh, that was the, uh, uh, Joe Perry. Oh uh, yeah. Issue one. Boneyard. Uh, Yep. Yeah. Like I'm a, I'm a big, for those of you that can't tell, I I love rock and roll. Like it's yeah. my favorite thing. And you know, you start getting into bands like Aerosmith and those guitar players, you know, uh, Phil Collin from Def Leppard. I, I just can't even help myself. I just love them. I can't play anything like those guys, but I sure do love them. <laughs> <laughs> but I can play their guitars. That's right. That's right. <laughs> What song do you wish you would have written or sang on? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, that can be Amazing Grace or Pour Some yeah. Sugar on Me or whatever. Yeah. You know what? Honestly, uh, <laughs> back to de- Hysteria. Yeah. I, that's one of my favorite songs. And, yeah. and I always wish that I could have thought of that song or done it or written oh, it. You absolutely. Know? Absolutely. That's such a good one. Well, I was going to say, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this, but you do have the flooring business, but like, this is your yeah. dream. This, yeah. 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 I mean, I want to play, I'm going to be playing, even if, if everything goes south and I go bankrupt, I mean, I'm going to have my old guild and yeah. I'm going to be playing music somewhere, even if it's in my basement, you know, uh, I just love writing songs. I love making sounds, you know, having, yeah. uh, if I wasn't able to, let's just say, I wasn't able, like I lost my hands for some reason or lost my voice. Um, I'd probably, I'd probably try to, to uh, go into life coaching. No, that's a terrible idea. Don't listen to anything I have to say about life coaching. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Probably real estate. I would probably do, I'd probably get into real estate. Uh, I, I like flipping rooms and houses. I've done a couple of those. So yeah. I always like reading about the life coach that's been unemployed for like nine years. It's like, wait a minute, (laughs) (laughs) whose life do I, I don't want to emulate you. No offense, but I don't. So what do you listen, what do you listen to for fun these days? Well, uh, outside of, you know, the, the rock and roll, uh, I like to listen to a lot of different stuff. I've really been getting into like the EDM 
stuff. Really? Um, I, I feel like it's a different kind of, the guys that are making that stuff are a different kind of composer Yeah, and they're putting these things together and they're not necessarily singing on them. Uh, uh, believe it or not, uh, the, uh, machine gun Kelly, I've kind of gotten into that guy's music a little bit. I mean, I know they're working with some major producers. Um, and then as much as possible, I'm a, I'm a sucker for all of the, uh, the girly girl pop stuff, uh, like the Taylor Swift stuff. Oh yeah. Out. Yeah. Uh, any of the like uh, Katy Perry stuff. Basically what I should say, anything that Max Martin produces, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a nut for. I yeah. Love it. Yeah. So. He's pretty good. So what's next for you, man? You know, that's a great question. Uh, right now we're coming off of some really great shows uh, that we have made uh, specific goal points uh, for and uh, we're slowly, my team and I, with the Luke Mills brand, we're slowly steering the ship into trying to be more uh, purposeful with the shows that we do. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take some time for us to really grasp that as an entire band. Uh, but we're excited about it. Uh, we just did a, an event last night, uh, a fundraiser at in the middle of a pandemic still basically that's you know up and down and the numbers that we're starting to pull are doing really good for us now i'm not saying we're pulling thousands of people yeah but when i said earlier about knowing where you're at and being honest about that that's really important because once you have the bottom you can start measuring off of anything you do from the bottom Hmm. and maybe it's one or two steps up or two feet off the ground um, but you know that it was two feet and you can start to figure out, well, what do we got to do to get four feet off the ground? Uh, five feet, you know, um, have the big goal down the line. I mean, the big goal for me is I really want to turn my music and get it out to as many people as possible. I want people to feel, uh, invigorated, inspired, and, uh, and, and get something positive out of every song that we, we put, yeah. um, when they come to see a show, I want it to be something that everyone can enjoy. I want, I want a five-year-old to be able to enjoy the time yeah. all the way up to an 85-year-old. You know, I know that's a, a broad thing, but uh, we're, we're accomplishing that goal and we've done it pretty decently. So we're just going to keep trucking along with these two things, writing good songs and making sure that the shows that we do and the way we present ourselves aligns with what we want, where, where we're going, yeah. want to present. So that's great, man. That's what we're doing. So what are your socials, Instagram and Facebook and yeah, you know what? I'm going to just give you one thing and you can get to all of our socials from that. And it's just lukemillsmusic.com. There you go. Yeah. Just lukemillsmusic.com and you can get to our Twitter and you can get to our Facebook, Instagram. You can get to our merch page, which (laughs) is very important. We got we got those t-shirts. You might want to get one now. <laughs> Trying to keep a band together here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's oh, awesome, yeah. man. Well, dude, thank you so much. And oh, uh thanks for letting me come share stories and just chat with you. This is great. Oh, it's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you. And uh I will say goodbye when we shut off here. So Luke Mills, thank you, brother. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Bye.